And now for our scripture reading from Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. That is, as it has been as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. She looked at me when the microphone popped. Well, we are continuing uh, our sermon series in Ephesians, uh, which we are entitled, we have entitled Rooted, which actually comes from Ephesians 3.17, and we'll be able to look at that next week. I'm actually quite excited about that. Um, But uh, we are to be rooted, Paul's desire uh, throughout Ephesians is that we would be rooted in Christ's love, and really what he's explaining through uh, the whole book is what it means to be the church. And here Paul kind of pauses to be able to look at it a little bit closer and to really ask a question, um, does it matter? Does it all matter? Is of anything that we are doing have any significance in our lives or in the lives of those around us? And at the table, I think, um, you know, we're, we've been worshiping publicly for four-ish months now. Um, we've been getting around to have, have worship on a regular basis for almost a year. And it's easy at this point for us to go, does it even matter? We look at um, the different Sundays and who we have coming and how many people we have coming. If we look at that, 
I think we would go, eh, maybe, maybe not, um, depending on how we are counting and what way we are counting. But I think Paul, in this particular passage especially, uh, says it does matter. It matters who we are. We are the church, and we, and myself included, need to remember that it is not how big we are. It is not the size that we are. Um, God says, you as the church, you and me, we have an impact in coming together for worship, for being together as a community, and for having our lives knit together in this uh, way as well. There is an amazing, um, what would be called a shop, I guess, if you will, uh, a craft uh, maker uh, in Paris called the Gobelin. And it has been making tapestries uh, since it began in the 17th century under Louis XIV. Louis loved tapestries, and he thought this was a worthy art to be doing, and so he created this institution to be doing it. And it's relatively unchanged in these 400 or so years in its existence. Uh, There's a fantastic video on YouTube that shows how they process what they do, how intricate it is, and how they set up the looms, and it's the same way that they've done it ever since the very beginning. You have the warp, which is the up and down wool fibers, and then you have a a weaver who sits behind it with the woof in which they take um, a thread that has been dyed certain colors, and they weave it in and out of of the various threads there to weave together this massive, beautiful tapestry. Uh, The design process is quite interesting. They begin by an artist making a painting or um, designing something, and then they have that, and they have that set up behind them, and so then the artist, the weaver artist, is able to sit there and interpret that as she sits there and, and weaves this tapestry together. These can take years to make, and like so we've had so many technological advances since the Gobelin was established, uh, but the art of making tapestries has hardly even changed. One uh, of the uh, women who runs this place says, it's beyond the reach of time, and it's anachronistic when everything has to do with speed, but it takes time to do things with humanity and soul. I can't help but think about what we're doing here at the table, as well as our lives when we say it takes time to do things with humanity and soul. In thinking through um, putting myself in the place of the weaver, as she is sitting there with these intricate designs and her eyes myopically focused on this incredibly detailed work that takes years to complete, I, I wonder, do they ever think, does it, does it matter? Is what I'm doing have any significance in this life? Is there any reason I should even continue to do this? And I think about the same things in our lives. Does our parenting matter? Does our work matter? What about the relationships that they have, that we are in? Um, Do they matter? Do I matter? Does it matter that I'm here on earth, that I have any, do I have any significance to uh, the people around me? Do I have any significance to God? I can't help but wonder if Paul ever wondered the same things as well. He's just gone through these uh, deep theological truths about who God is and how Jesus has come by the power of the Spirit, how he has raised Christ from the dead and he's worked his grace in our lives and bring together these disparate groups of people uh, by the peace of Christ, as Nick talked about last week. 
does what he is doing matter? Well, it seems that he does believe that it matters. Um, and after all these grand statements in the first two chapters of Ephesians, Paul pauses and he inserts himself into the story. He says in, at the very beginning of the chapter, I, Paul, am a prisoner for Jesus on your behalf, Gentiles. I've gone to jail for you. I'm suffering for you. I'm a part of this story just as you are a part of this story. See, I believe there is great significance in this life, even for us, no matter where we find ourselves, in between jobs, starting a new job, wondering about what jobs may be there uh, in the future, as we start our families, as we look at uh, the lives that we are always just about to uh, begin, it feels like. It feels like we're always on the cusp, and where we are matters, because we find ourselves in the story of this grand story, we have a part to play in what God is revealing in our lives, who we are, the relationships that we have, where he has placed us, how we um, love our wives and our spouses, how we love our children, how we love those who are nearest and dearest to us, how we spend our time and money. It matters. It has significance. Even our suffering has significance because they all reveal God's mystery and his ministry that he has given to us. Paul, in verse 10, calls this the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold is actually the word where we get tapestry from. And so, and then this wisdom is lived out. And so, these aren't just abstract theological ideas that Paul has been going through and explaining for the previous couple of chapters, but this is a living, personal relationship that we have with a living God who has revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This manifold wisdom is the interweaving of mystery and ministry and suffering. And so these are the three things that we're going to look at this morning. Mystery, ministry, and suffering. Mystery. Let's look at verses 2 through 6. Paul writes, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been now been revealed, but to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul calls himself a steward of grace. Uh, This word steward is is the Greek word... oikonomia or oikonomos it's where um, oikos the first part of this world word is where we get the word household the house management managing of the house it's also where we get the word economy so paul is saying that he has been given the administration of this economy of grace that he has been put into put in charge of he is the one who is responsible for grace and he says it's grace that i've been given so then that i can share the grace. He is a steward of it. It's not his own, but it's something that he is able to pass on. And he says he was responsible for the grace to give it to you, Ephesians. And this is the mystery that God has revealed to Paul. 
we see him spell this out, this mystery, in verse 6, when he says Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of God. Paul's purpose is to share this grace, not just with uh, the Jewish people to whom it was given, but to take it to the rest of the world. Gentiles are just people who were not Jewish, and my assumption is that all of us in this room right now are Gentiles through and through. So we are also a part of this promise that Paul is passing on to the Ephesians. Each of these words here that we have, fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise, these first two phrases are just one word, and they have the suffix at the beginning of it, and it's sin or sim, and it basically means with. There's a withness that God is creating as he weaves these, our lives together with one another. And he uses a body metaphor, which he has used before, and he's literally saying we are the ligaments, we are the tendons that hold together the body of Christ. See, the Ephesians were Gentiles as well, and so they would have literally been the evidence of the inclusion of the Gentiles um, and the significance of Paul's ministry. He's going, I was given the stewardship of grace to give to you, to bring to the Gentiles, to give to you, Ephesians, so that you may know that God wanted to have you as a part of his people and bring together this new humanity, this new body, and to partake in the promise of grace. The only part of the tapestry process that has evolved technologically is how they dye the wool for um, the colors. It used to be they would use like saffron or tea or whatever colors they would use, uh, plant material, uh, et cetera, to dye these threads. And it was very uh, wishy-washy. You got a lot of different variations in it. Now they're able to use um, uh, chemicals to be able to do this. And they start all the entire process. We have most of those covered for her. So uh, they start the entire process with just three colors. And they're able to get an infinite amount of colors out of these uh, red, yellow, and blue dyes that they have. They, they create the solution, and then they put the threads in for a certain amount of time, either plain wool or silk, and the dye solution to bring out all these brilliant colors. And then these are tied into a bobbin and woven onto the wharf, uh, or the warp, uh, to reveal the design of the tapestry. And so this is the only technology that they've used uh, and in this dyeing, in this creation of all these colors, the, the weavers are, begin, are able to begin to reveal the design of the tapestry. We are the evidence of the mystery of God. We reveal the design of God's tapestry. As Gentiles of one who were, are not um, by blood people uh, through whom God has chosen, we're not direct descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we are now able to be members of the body of Christ, heirs and partakers of the promise. And the good news here is that you belong, that God has called you to be able to come. And one of the most basic things in which we exclude people, that they look different from us, that they um, eat different foods, that we are not the same culture, we are not the same race, race or ethnicity, is not something by which we can 
exclude other people and not by which we can be excluded either. We belong. The question in our brains I think we're always asking is, do we belong are we safe? Whenever we enter into a room, this is just kind of the, the mind all by itself is just kind of clicking off these questions. And I often think, uh, we might often think otherwise, but we cannot be left out. This is a work of God. But God, while we were still sinners, while we were still apart from Christ, saved us while we were yet sinners. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can keep us out of the family of God. And when we become a part of the family of God, when we have that witness, he makes us administrators of God's grace as well. We become responsible for the grace that we have received to be able to give that grace out to one another. Our responsibility is to share this share that which we have been given. The table exists. What we're doing here is to provide a place at the table of God's grace. We want to continually expand the size of our table so that more people will be able to experience the love of Christ that we have received ourselves. For those of us who call the table our home, we have the privilege of inviting others to come and experience this grace of God. And the question that we should be asking as we think about who we, are, uh, um, who we could invite is who are the modern-day Gentiles for us that we need to invite to be a part of what God is doing at the table? Who are the people that would naturally be excluded? Maybe who are the people that we would naturally exclude from this as well? Why? What in our heart needs to be changed as well? Where does grace need to penetrate itself even deeper into our own lives so that we can steward the grace that God has given us as well? Let's not be confused about what Paul is saying here. He's making a distinction. The mystery of Gentile inclusion is not the gospel itself. The good news of the gospel is that Christ was crucified, died, and was buried, and on the third day he rose again. This is the good news, that God is a God, God who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, is a God who has power and authority over death, and that he himself went to the cross so that we could know that he enters into our humanity as well. Because if God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can raise us from the dead as well. And so Paul furthers his weaving of God's grace into our lives. Because not only are we raised from the dead, not only are we stewards of this grace that we uh, have been given, but we have a ministry of this gospel as well. Look at verses 7 through 12 with me. Paul writes, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might, be, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose of, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness 
and access with confidence through our faith in him. Paul says he has been given, he has been made a minister. He has a ministry of the gospel. This word minister is diakonos. It means servant. or It's where we get the word deacon, someone who serves in the church, someone who serves um, in their lives. And then he says he's the least of all, the very least of all the saints. Paul has made other statements that are very similar to this that um, really bring out the humility that the gospel has created in him. He says he has said he's the least of all the apostles. He says that he is the chief of sinners as well. There's a humility to his ministry. There is a lowliness. There is a servanthood that he takes on, and he's encouraging us to take on as well. And then in verse 10, he almost says something that kind of would, would blow all of this humility away. He says, the church is, has been created to make known to the rulers and authorities the gospel, this mystery, um, in the heavenly places, this community, this church, the called out ones, this body, this mysterious people that God has brought together in his mystery has been created is the vehicle by which God would reveal his wisdom, the riches of his grace to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What we do here has cosmic implications. It's not just that our lives have significance here and now. Our lives as the church, as the body, is transcendent as well. It goes beyond uh, the mere um, brick and mortar that we have sitting around us. We are not merely a building. We are not just a house that we meet in. But we are the eternal dwelling place of Christ as well. We have been created to make known the manifold wisdom, this interweaving, this tapestry, uh, to the rulers and authorities. I think one implication of this, I'm going to draw out real quick, an aside, is that it is very easy to look at those who are in charge of our lives, whether that's very intimate to us, our bosses or our teachers, um, those who are uh, our mayors, our governors, even the president, and all those who are in charge, that they are the ones making the rules. They have the authority in this world over our lives uh, throughout all uh, time. It's very interesting. Uh, actually, I just uh, we were sitting around the table, uh, yesterday, Stacey was with Joshua at the doctor's office, and um, uh, I don't know why, uh, but Evelyn or Michael just was like, um, what if the president told you to do something that was against what Jesus would say to do? And I was like, well, who would you listen to? And they're like, well, Jesus. And I was like, very good. Like, <laughs> um, okay, we're having a little lesson now. Okay, we're doing this thing. Uh, and so we talked about that for a little bit. But it can be so easy to listen to the news, to hear what's going on in the world, and think they're the ones who are in charge of everything. But if we affirm that God raised Jesus from the dead, no one else has ever displayed the ability to really do that then God is the one who is ultimately in charge of our lives as well. He is the one who cares for us, both cosmically through um, our, uh, being able to deliver us from the sting of death, as well as intimately and personally by making us a part of his story and that which he is telling here in this place. Paul says this is, there's an eternal purpose to this as well. 
in that we have confidence to be able to approach the throne of God. We don't, no one, none of us are running into even the mayor's office or the governor's office, let alone the president's, but he is saying here that we can walk by faith into the presence, the very presence of God, approach him with both boldness and confidence in our relationship with him. The ESV um, really screws up the translation at this point. At the very end of verse 12, it says, through our faith in him, uh, uh, grammatically, um, this is okay, but I think theologically, as well as grammatically, it can also be through his faithfulness. So because of Christ's faithfulness to us, because he has redeemed us, because he has restored us, he gives us that boldness and access to him, to God himself. See, by humbly serving, we, as the church, are making known God's manifold witness, wisdom, excuse me, to the rulers and authorities as we have confident access to the one who is truly in charge of our lives, God, through the faithfulness of Christ. The weaver of the tapestry is involved in every part of the process. They're the ones who are able to sketch out the design uh, as they receive it from the artist to be able to put it on um, the, uh, the, 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 warp, the, the woof, whatever the vertical lines are, the structure that has been given there, they kind of stretch, uh, sketch it on. They do the, the first setting up of the loom as well. They're the ones who dye uh, the threads, the, the warp to be able to put it on as well. They set up the loom, they sit behind it, they have um, likely hundreds, it looked like they had so many different bobbins um, where the, the wharf, the, I'm messing up this, uh, the woof, does it even matter? The, uh, the threads that they have going through, um, they're the ones doing the work and taking the bobbins and weaving and making the design happen on this loom. They sit behind the chat tapestry. They interpret the art that they have been given and re, uh, recreate the original art that they have. It's this beautiful, painstaking process. We are the weavers of God's manifold witness. The church is God's humble yet confident artist. We have humility towards one another and the world around us. This word humble actually comes from, it's the same word that we have for human and for dirt. We are of the earth. We have humanness. We are limited in who we are and so humility is not putting our place, ourselves in the place of God. We can't fix the world. It's what he does. He redeems and restores. He is the actor, the creator, and the revealer, but he gives, he allows us to be the artist to participate in that work as well. We as a church are the revelation of God's manifold wisdom. But we also have confidence. We have confidence before God and Christ to go to him, to tell him whatever we need. We are joining in on what he is doing to redeem and restore his creation. But neither of these are arrogance, right? To have confidence isn't to be arrogant about who we are, how God has chosen us over other people. It's not anything that we have done, but it's through his grace that he has given to us. But we usually switch these things around. Sometimes we have humility with one another, 
um, and we'll be we'll be human here in our church and in our the people the, our communities where God has placed us. But when it comes to the world, we have overwhelming confidence before them. Maybe we should have confidence, but I think we should have humility as well. We should remember how we are not in charge, how God is the one who is doing this work, and we are here as deacons, as servants, ministers of the gospel, serving those who don't yet know, serving uh, the, the rulers and authorities by revealing who God is and what he is doing. This is not taking over the world, having our political agendas be the agenda of the day, but a humble faithfulness to where God has placed us in relationships, geographically where he's placed us, in our work, in our family, and those most near to us. How has God created you to reveal God's grace? Where are those places in your lives where with humility before one another, but confidence before God, that he is asking you to be his servant, to be his minister? I think one of the things this does is that it, it fights against our individualism. It reminds us that we as the church are the ones who are the humble servants of Christ, revealing God's manifold wisdom, right? We, we so often want to do it by ourselves. We so often want to be self-made. We want to be people. We want to be independent. But God has not made us independent. He's made us very dependent on one another. In our own nature, we are made for relationships with one another. We are made to be in community with one another. We are not the radical individuals that Colorado, that Denver, that this world wants to tell us that we are. And so humbly, we come before one another to bind our lives with one another, to be able to share in this grace that God has given us. This is our work as the local church. There can be a misconception that size matters, that the bigger church you are, the bigger building you have, the more smoke and lasers, uh, the more people that you have attending is how you have significance. But Paul's writing to small house churches throughout uh, the ancient uh, Near East area, throughout Greece, very much like ours. We are the means by which God is revealing himself. We're not merely a worship service. We are a people of God. We are a place where the purposes of God are embodied and the unity that he desires is practiced. Lastly, Paul says, all of this comes through suffering. It's kind of how he bookends this whole passage, how he finds himself as a part of the story as well. In verse 1 and 13, he writes, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, on your behalf, on behalf of you Gentiles. And he says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul says he's a prisoner, he's suffering, and his sufferings are the Ephesians' glory. Paul is okay with all of this because it's how he finds himself as a part of the story that God is telling in the lives of the Ephesians as well as in the life of the world. He identifies his sufferings with Christ's sufferings as well. Makes us sound very urban when that goes off. Uh, <laughs> um, it, he identifies his sufferings with Christ's sufferings. He says that if 
I, if my Savior died, I am going to suffer as well in this life. And then he says, this is the evidence of God's wisdom and love in including the Gentiles in his purposes, that I would suffer on your behalf. That is a part of what of, of how God has made this world work. Andy Crouch says there's something about sacrifice that unlocks what this world needs. So much of my life, I would love to avoid sacrifice, whether that's um, putting my children before me, whether that's um, doing something that really is going to take uh, an overnight process or where I don't get sleep or where I'm misconvenienced, or whether it's truly laying down my life and giving up a portion of who I am, as, as Paul has done, as being a prisoner. Um, I just don't like suffering. We as Americans don't like suffering. But what Paul is saying here is that there is something that takes place in suffering that cannot take place through any other means. There's a tension on the loom when, these, when the wharf is pulled very tightly. There, it holds things together. And one of the, the narrators of the video says the weaver invests a part of herself in the work. Now, there's different threads that they, they thread through uh, the loom. There's wool, which they have dyed to a spe- specific color. This adds strength to the tapestry. There's silk that they run through it as well to provide some luminance to be able to see what's going on. And then if the person who had uh, commissioned uh, the tapestry was really wealthy, they would have gold and silver thread through it as well. These are glimpses of the glory that we are able to get. Very costly to put gold and silver in a tapestry. But this is what it looks like to suffer. It actually is not the the beige, the gray parts of the fabric that is the suffering. It's the beauty, the luminosity, the extra gold and silver that fill out the tapestry. We need to offer ourselves to God and trust that he will use us for redemption. We um, don't want to. Um, We don't trust God in allowing us to suffer. Uh, We don't trust in his purposes in that. But the story of redemption is built on sacrifice. And if we are going to follow a Savior who went to the cross, we too should be willing to go to the cross for him as well. Because what we've seen him do there, it's not that Christ died on the cross like so many other people did and was laid in a tomb or was left there to decay. No, he was laid in a tomb, and in three days he rose again from the dead. This economy of grace is an upside-down economy that we have been given the stewardship of. It is us laying our lives down that we will see God's purposes um, be taken up. We should live in this tension. We have been given a Savior who has gone through it for us. Do our lives matter? Is there any significance in this life? I think there is. I think the ministry, the mystery, and the suffering reveal the beautiful tapestry of grace that God has given to us and has worked in our lives in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you um, you don't let our suffering be in vain. Uh, your suffering was not in vain. 
your suffering had eternal significance here in this place, Lord. And it can be so easy to look at our lives and the finiteness which with we live and to go, what are we doing here in this place? But through you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you multiply it. You give us grace to dole out. You allow us to invite others into this grace that we have received. And then you use our suffering, you redeem it in the little ways and in the big ways to be able to show forth your gold and silver, your glory and majesty here in this place. Lord, give us humility as we approach others and share this grace and give us confidence before you and what you have done in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.